Our text this morning Our text this morning is the verses 21 to 23 where Moses appoints he selects capable men from all the people those who are fearing God trustworthy uh, to help in the work it says specifically to have them serve. Um, they will make your load lighter. They will share it with you, verse 22. So sharing the load, that sense of sharing the load is, is the theme there and is our theme this morning. Congregation of Jesus Christ, we, we had the privilege of traveling uh, through the Middle East and we were at the uh, mountain of Sinai and, and then if you read something like this and you recognize how Moses was placing people over thousands and hundreds and fifties, like there, there were all these people spread out. It's a very rugged area, and, and, and you think if Moses, by God's grace, had brought all the people there to actually keep them in order, to keep things in order, would be a huge challenge because there was, there was a lack of everything a lack of space even because it's very rugged and so where do you actually set your tent keep your flocks and then between scarce space and scarce resources there's no water there there is very little food there and then the sense again of between people coming together and some of the friction that arises as people are forced to live together to get along together priorities and, and, and who goes first and who does what and where and how, that there would be a great deal of, of need for things being resolved, issues of safety, uh, of rights, of priorities, of justice, of fairness. And so there would be all kinds of, of things that would be going on. It wasn't a a smooth running operation it would come back to Moses again and again and again in the big things in the little things and you could sense too he would have been under tremendous pressure in Exodus 18 at this point God gives a gracious mandate for leadership that I believe still holds today that sense of sharing the load. And the church has, has taken that on through the years too. And I want to look at that with you this morning in the context of the installation of the elders and deacons that we just had here, that they share the load, that they are those called by God to do that work. And I want to let the Bible speak into what we see here and encourage us too as we go forward together to serve the Lord as he would want. The first thing that strikes us, though, as we read this passage, is Exodus 18, verse 1, where it says, do we have it here, Exodus 18, verse 1? Well, we have it somewhere. Good work, Kyle. That a priest of Midian, He's Moses' father-in-law, but he's a, a priest of Midian. He is the one giving the advice. 
And that, that should cause us concern. Because being, being in the region and, and looking at the, the <coughs> at the geography and at the... Just, just there were all kinds of heathen nations around there, and Midian was one of them. And so that this man would come and give some kind of spiritual advice that would actually be received is, is really a striking problem. Midian is a, a heathen nation. It's, uh, in modern day, it, it would be northern Saudi Arabia. It's, it's on the other side of the Red Sea. But you would think that Israel would have nothing to do with them and that any advice that came from them would not be well received. But the passage begins this, this priest of me, and he's a priest. And so he is, he is in the service of other gods. And so how can he come and give advice in relation to the true God? He's a, he's a heathen. He's, he's not welcome, really. Not a worshiper of the true God. Later on, conflicts arise between Midian and Israel. And so, so what is this? What is going on here? You need to recognize back at the beginning of the book of Exodus, when we begin to hear the story of Moses, Moses is born, Moses is raised, Moses is working in Egypt, and, and he wants to defend his people, save his people, and so he kills that Egyptian and buries him in the sand, Exodus 2. And then he's forced to flee, and he actually flees to Midian. And so the connection begins there. And then what happens in that account, as he has fled to Midian, he's at a well, and, and some uh, ladies come, uh, the daughters of Jethro, to water their sheep, and he defends them, and he provides the water, and he becomes part of the family to the point where Zipporah, his wife, is the daughter of Jethro. And so there's a connection. A connection is made already in Exodus 2. Moses is 40 years old when he flees Egypt, and he stays with Jethro's family, and he ministers to them. Exodus 3, verse 1 tells us he is tending the sheep of his father-in-law Jethro. So he is there, he is working for him. Moses is, is engaged in his living, in his working with Jethro's family. And as he is doing that, he is telling them about God. He is telling them about God's call on his life. He is telling them about his miraculous birth and, and really salvation in the river. And he's telling them about his desire and God's desire to save the people. And he is, he is being a witness in their lives. When he is called by God in the burning bush, no doubt he tells Jethro about that. And just a little aside, as we were traveling in, in, uh, in, in uh, last number of weeks, then, then every time our, our teacher, Pastor George DeYoung, he would stop. And, and as we were at Sinai, he brought up the burning bush. Moses, 
Moses is called by God at the burning bush. What's the one thing we know about the burning bush? It, it didn't burn up. So the burning bush was burning, but it didn't burn up. So then, let's, let's say, for example, you are, you are building a fire in the backyard, you are, or, you're, or you're camping and you're building a fire, you throw some wood in there, and you don't have to throw any more in because the fire keeps going, but the wood doesn't burn. Wouldn't that be something? You wouldn't have to chop or hack away at it anymore. The, the bush was on fire, but it was not burning. And, and our, our, our leader, George DeYoung, he asked a question. Let me ask you the same question. How long was that bush burning before Moses noticed it? Because it, it was burning without being consumed, right? So it, it wasn't burning just long enough until the wood was gone and then it was out. So how long was it burning? Interesting question. So we thought about that. We were all standing at Mount Sinai. How long was that bush burning anyway? And the rabbis who, who reflect on this, uh, the Jewish history, they, they reflected back and they have talked about and thought about it and they say... It was burning the full 40 years that Moses wandered in that wilderness. Moses left Egypt. He fled to Jethro. He married Zipporah. He lived with them for 40 years. He tended sheep in the desert. And the bush was burning for 40 years. Until finally, Moses noticed it. And the thought is that, that the Lord is doing things too around us that we don't even notice. We're busy with our own lives, we're going on about things, and, and the Lord is calling to us, and, and, and He's trying to get our attention, and, and we're just walking by, and we're not seeing it at all. And that's, that's a way of, yeah, that bush was burning, it was not consumed. And finally, it got Moses' attention, and Moses responded by going to Pharaoh to call the people out. So Moses leaves his wife and his kids with Jethro, and he goes to confront Pharaoh. And now, in Exodus 18, Jethro comes to Moses in the wilderness at the Mount of Horeb, it says, he comes to him here in the wilderness where the bush was burning. And he's here for two reasons. He's come to bring Moses' wife and children back. That's first of all. Moses left them with Jethro, and Moses left them with him, saying to him the words of Exodus 3, verse 12, that God will bring the people here. God said, I will be with you. This will be the sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And that's back at Mount Horeb. That's back where God called Moses. And so that's happened. And so Jethro comes to affirm that call of God. And there is in that, secondly, Jethro's joyful response 
of faith. Jethro comes and he hears Moses' testimony, verse 8. Moses uh, went out to meet his father-in-law, verse 7, bowed down to him, kissed him, verse 8. Moses says to his father-in-law, God has done it. He has brought us out and he has saved us. So, so Moses gives his father-in-law a, a basic faith testimony, even, even to say, too, my, my God has saved me. Our God has saved us. And Jethro responds in faith. And that reminds us, even this morning, that when we go to others, even people who who we would think too, would not be interested, would not be open, would not respond. And we say to them, Jesus is my Savior. I've been saved. That's really all, all Moses' testimony is. We were dead in slavery in Egypt in bondage. Our testimony is we were dead in slavery to sin, but Jesus saved us. And so that basic witness of a personal testimony, the evidence that Moses brings is received by Jethro and his response is joyful faith. And so Jethro comes in faith. Verse 11, Now I know the Lord is greater than all other gods. And you have to realize in the ancient world it was never really a question uh, do I serve God or not? That's more the question today. People say, well, I'll serve God or I won't serve God. And we go on about that. We will some other time. But the picture here is, which God will I serve? The true God or the false gods? And that's, that's the decision that Jethro makes. And he says... Here in verse 11, now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods. That he is a true God is really what he's saying. He's giving his testimony. He's, he's making profession of faith. This is the true God for him. And that continues to work itself out. Uh, he brings a burnt offering, which is a, the, the sin offering. And he brings other sacrifices to God fully dedicating his life to God. And then in a, they, they partake in the Lord's Supper. It's a, eat bread together with the elders of Israel. They eat bread together in the presence of God. It, it's like our profession of faith, where we have people make profession of faith, and then we join in the Lord's Supper together. So Jethro, the witness of Moses, the work of faith is, is already taking fruit. And Jethro is the first fruits of the Gentiles seeking God and entering by faith into fellowship with the people of God. So, so you see that mission work of God already in the life of Jethro. And that continues to encourage us to be a witness. God continued to work in his people. <coughs> you see it in Jethro. You see it in Rahab later on as they uh, enter the promised land. And, and our story too continues to be that witness to a world in need. Who is the true God? Well, our God, the God of the Bible, 
Jesus, the risen Lord, that continues to be our witness as we say to, we are saved by grace through faith in him, and we continue to make that our confession. In this regard, Jethro enters in. Jethro is welcomed in as part of the people of God, the family of God. So then the question arises, it's, it's wonderful to welcome new converts, but, but do they really come in and, and do they really have anything to offer? That's really the next question. That does Jethro just come in and, and, and praise God and then there he is, thank you very much, or does he actually have something to offer? Can he contribute to this work of, of the Lord? Is he inferior somehow? Is he is just tolerated and not really fully accepted? And so there's, there's a, a, a picture here of, of God speaking to Moses and the people through this man. He's just a, just a kind of a new convert. How can that be? But in Exodus 18, verse 13, uh, Jethro watches Moses at work uh, leading the people, and he sees a problem uh, that, that Moses doesn't see. You think Moses would see it. I mean, he's the, the great man of God. Or you think the people themselves would see it, and, and they would make some adjustment, but none of that happens. And it says very specifically, as Moses explains what he is doing to Jethro, Jethro announces it's no good. It's no good here. What you are doing is not good. And that's, that's a stinging condemnation. And that's from someone who comes in from the outside. Someone walks into our church this morning and stands up and says, what you are doing here is no good. What are you supposed to think, hey? Who are you? We know what we're about. We know what we're doing. Jethro comes in and he stands up and he says, what you are doing is no good. I mean, how are we supposed to respond to that? Moses' response could very easily have been, wait a minute, I'm, I'm the one who is leading. I'm very successful. Look, look, I've brought these people out. I know what I'm doing. I've managed so far. I'm tough. I'm successful. And so he could have in pride just said too, you just be quiet. Not interested in your opinion. He was also the intercessor with God. He was the, the living link between God and the people. So he, he might have thought too, yeah, my father-in-law is being very presumptuous. Why, what does he think he's doing? Giving me advice. But it's, it's remarkable how Moses accepts Jethro's advice. Even when, when Jethro elevates his advice in verse 23, when he says that God commands you. Did you notice that? In verse 23, if you do this and God so commands. What? You are telling me what God commands? 
Now, this is before Moses goes up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, but Moses is the one who tells others what God commands. You don't tell Moses what God commands. But Jethro, in love, in love for Moses and in love for the people, recognizes God by the Spirit giving him, like Jethro, just a humble servant. He's just, just wanting to bless Moses and to bless God's people so that they will not be worn out, so they will not falter or fail. And so, so he elevates the, the command. He makes this clear statement that God wants you to do things differently. And Moses receives it as a gift. He receives it as a valuable insight. And we read he puts it into practice. Instead of holding on to power, instead of maintaining his authority and influence, what he does, he actually empowers others. And in that, he himself is helped, and the whole community is encouraged and built up. So in setting himself back, really humbling himself. In that we see a picture of Jesus, the mediator, who in Philippians 2, it says he humbled himself. And that's, that's the sense of leadership that Moses is demonstrating, a Christ-like leadership. Numbers 12, verse 3, highlights this. Uh, now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. So there's a picture of, of a humble leadership, a humble vision of empowering others. Pastor Charles Spurgeon, he was a, a famous pastor. He, he had a, a, a beautiful ministry. Uh, maybe you've heard the name of Spurgeon. One of his key things, his vision of leadership, though, though he was very popular and influential and, and very gifted in many ways, he insisted in his church that everyone would take part as much as they could. And when, when he said that, he empowered them. So he just didn't say that and then somebody did something and he took them aside and said, well, you sure messed that up. I'd never have done it that way. You're useless. He would give them place, he would give them power, and he would let them serve. And, and the church was encouraged and built up in beautiful ways. But it takes a particular humble leadership that things don't maybe get done exactly when or how you might want, but things get done, and things get done well, and people use their gifts in God's service. So Moses too, Exodus 18, verse 25, he delegated his authority to capable people who would oversee the needs of the people. And so that ministry gets put in place. And in this way, many more disputes could be settled much more quickly, and Moses could concentrate <coughs> on the more complex and serious cases. And it's just a, a wonderful vision of ministry and leadership, the people he selects are those of integrity and honesty, 
those with uh, loving and generous hearts, uh, people of faith who seek to be part of God's work in ministry. And that's really echoed in 1 Timothy 3 as it speaks about office bearers in the church, those who serve as those called to use their gifts in different ways. So that's why we have elders and deacons. That's why we divide things up. And that's why this year we also divided administrative and pastoral elders. You think, too, that's getting pretty complicated and that's getting pretty detailed. There is a, a, a way of, of just seeing, yeah, different aspects, different responsibilities, different gifts, and to have people serve where they feel most able. Otherwise, the work becomes too much and people get burned out. That's also why we have three-year terms. And I think, too, those who stay longer, Andrew has done that, and it, does, it becomes a little much so that you get a break. And we try to get a two-year break for people if possible, and then they would be ready to serve again. I'm always amazed by how, how God uses people in the service of the church. And I'm always so thankful to see, too, the brothers standing here and each one with different gifts and abilities. And I look forward to working again, too, with those coming in and to continue working with those who are serving at this time. We want to do the work together in the service of the church and to trust that our Lord will indeed build up his church by his grace. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the wonder of your grace. We thank you that you continue to work out your will in our lives and that we would be a fellowship that is engaged in ministry with all our gifts and abilities, that we would also continue to trust in your leading and your provision through all those who, uh, who serve in, in other areas as well, in other ministries of the church, with the, the children or the youth, or the seniors' ministries, and, and all kinds of things, Lord, that as each one does their part, that you are honored and we are encouraged, Lord. We thank you that we can trust in your continued blessing as we seek to do your will in this way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our song of response is the servant song, which draws us all into being servants of our God, where he has placed us. We'll stand to sing.